Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I used to listen to or read interviews with actors and actresses, and they'd say, oh, no, I never look at anyone. I never watch myself or I never mm-hmm, read interviews. Mm-hmm. And I used to think, oh, it's a bit arrogant. But I really get it now. Like, mm-hmm. once you've done something, you've done it, it's out there. Nothing that you can do can change yeah. someone's opinion, whether it's good or bad, just don't worry about it. Hello and welcome back to Beautiful Lives, the podcast in which I, Madeline Spencer, invite a guest to reflect on the parts of their life story where beauty rituals or products have played a role and how what they saw in the mirror or perceive they saw in the mirror has had an impact. Today, I'm joined by the journalist and author Sophia Money Coots, who talks movingly and at times hilariously on a huge range of things, including class warfare and how it's affected her, posh families and their attitude towards makeup, having vitiligo, how she navigated her uni experience, her time at Tatler, harbouring a keen interest in having silky hair, Botox, breakups, and her inspirational granny. We also, of course, talk about Sophia's career and how she structured her day to allow for her to write columns and novels, and about some of the inspiration for her two books, the latest of which, What Happens Now, combines Sophia's trademark amusing observations with flashes of insight into what it might be like to be a 34-year-old woman suddenly pregnant to a virtual stranger's baby. Here's Sophia. Hello, Sophia. Hello. Hi. Welcome to the show. Oh, actually, sorry. Quickly, Go on. It's Sophia, technically. Is it? Yeah. Sorry. No, sorry, I, I don't even notice. Sophia. I don't even notice when people say it to me, which is why, I, and sometimes I get too embarrassed to correct them because I feel like I'm... No, I'm glad you corrected no, me. Sorry. I just did, um, I just recorded an episode with Ida Field. Oh, I saw that. That's so cool. Yeah. She's lovely. Completely lovely. But yeah. she went, I said, hi, Ada. She went, it's Ida. Ida. And tell me how you pronounce your surname. Money coots. It's so literally money, not money. Yeah, yeah money fine. and then coots. Yeah. Right. Okay. Sophia, money and coots. growing up as Sophia Money Coots <laughs> in the country, where where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in well, all sorts of places really. My mm-hmm. I I grew up really in West Sussex until mm-hmm. I was eight, when my parents very sort of very rural country ponies, dogs, etc. Then my parents separated, mm-hmm. and my mum moved up to the borders of Scotland, which was again very rural, ponies, horses, etc. And my dad moved to London. So mm-hmm. I felt really lucky because I got the best of both worlds, really. So did you go up to Scotland with your mum? I went up to Scotland with my mum. Sort of, it was a custody battle mm-hmm. and it was all quite hideous. Um, but I ended up going up to Scotland with my mum. How old were you? Uh, eight when they separated, ten when we moved to Scotland. Okay. But what happened is I only went to school in Scotland for four terms mm-hmm. before then coming down to Buckinghamshire mm-hmm. to boarding school. Right. So I sort of was a bit all over the place, but... Mm. I kind of love that because I, you know, I'm still very fond of the Scottish borders mm-hmm. now, and I live in London now and love London. Mm. And boarding school was great. So and you yeah. had two siblings. Mm-mm. I have two full, two full siblings. Yeah, uh, a younger brother and a younger sister, mm-hmm. Drum and Rosie. But I have two step siblings as well mm-hmm. and a half brother. Right. But I call them all my full siblings because I've known them all for so long and they are all basically yeah. my full yeah, siblings. Yeah. I like, love them all equally. So. And your dad's a baron and I sort yes. of imagine that you had this upbringing that's very out of a Mitford novel. <laughs> Is that fair? I wish it was as Mitford as the Mitford novels <laughs> okay. because I'm obsessed with all the Mitfords. Um... Yes, no, it probably is fair. I, yeah, so dad is baron, which it doesn't mean he's baron Crispin. It, mm-hmm. It's he's, So he's 
is technically called Lord Lord Latimer, mm-hmm. um, and which these days I sort of I tend to be sort of quite awkward about discussing because it's sort of class warfare in this country. I think is mm. quite alive and well and sort of embarrassing in many ways to be posh and to sound like this. <laughs> um, so I tend to be really apologetic about it. But yeah, no, I did have a fairly, I suppose, eccentric upbringing, mm. uh, sort of, you know, my mum's second husband uh, hunted sort of foxhounds, for example, so sort of grew up very much sort of living in the country doing that, mm-hmm. like a Mitford. Um, and yes, nice holidays and lots of siblings rolling around. Mm. So yes, and nannies and holidays and yeah. And at the time, lucky. were you aware that that wasn't the norm the for norm. everyone? I, I suppose, when do you become aware that you're very privileged and lucky? Um, I don't think, I, this is going to make me sound terrible. Mm. I don't know if I did until I almost left boarding school when I was 18. Because yeah. then at boarding school with a lot of people, largely, who are also very privileged and yeah. go on nice holidays and whose parents have nice cars. So, yeah, I think it's maybe when you get to uni, depending obviously on where you go to uni, that mm-hmm. you suddenly are like, oh shit, actually this... Yeah, this this isn't the norm, which I yeah. know makes me sound terrible, but if it you don't know and you don't, at all. yeah, well, you just you just don't realise. It's just your so, experience. That's not, yeah, yeah. Again, since yeah. me being so apologetic. Yeah. So yes. when you were younger, who was influencing what you thought beauty was? So when I was younger, in in sort of posh families, it's not. It's changed a bit. From yeah, sort of posh teenagers and women in their twenties now, but. And 30s, but mm. the, the sort of posh old school thing was women aren't supposed to wear a lot of makeup. Mm-hmm. Or if they do, they're certainly not supposed to look like they're wearing a lot of makeup. It's that sort of thing of, you know, oh, you look like a tart, like a yeah. sort of cheap tart kind of thing, which is a horrendous thing to say. But yeah, so posh women just didn't wear much makeup. My mum, also, growing up in the country, you sort of, you're supposed to be very ruddy cheeked or apple cheeked mm. and have dewy skin naturally yeah and sort of i'm thinking very princess diana quite exactly quite princess diana and if you have sort of very long slony hair that's unbrushed it's still supposed to look sort of quite rapunzel-esque and sort of gorgeous hanging over one shoulder imagine a sort of a jilly cooper heroine (laughs) they would not have worn much makeup they might have there might have been a dab of mascara but even that they were just supposed to be naturally very rosy and sort of yes lush and gorgeous so I didn't really notice much makeup around me at all when I was little. But when you were looking in the mirror, yeah. presumably you were thinking, do I look like that ideal? I looked in the mirror and I just wasn't... I wasn't... I suppose I wasn't very conscious of... The way you look. Well, no, I was because I was a sort of chubby teenager and I was really self-conscious about how I looked. But mm. I wasn't necessarily... I think, I suppose my obsession was more about my body than my face. Okay. Um, I actually, I got vitiligo when I was 11, 12-ish. Mm. The white patches that mm-hmm. supposedly what Michael Jackson had yeah. um, all over his body. And supposedly, a, and it's, immune, it's an immune disease that supposedly responds to stress. And there was always all this sort of thought that it was maybe because of my parents' divorce that it suddenly... Is that when it started? Yeah, that, exactly. It's when it started and just a bit afterwards and my eyelashes all went white. Mm-hmm. And I've got actually quite a lot of my hands, you can see, and my mm-hmm. armpits, it's really unglamorous are completely white and actually very personal detail um, I remember I went to the same place with bikini waxes for a long time and I remember I used to go and the woman would sort of be down there waxing me and she'd go oh I remember you (laughs) because I have it oh my god okay yeah So I, I was conscious about white patches mm. on my face when I was younger. And Did you when try I to started, correct them at any yeah, point? Yeah, so when I started using foundation, sort of, you know, teenage orange foundation, I would try and cover that up. Mm. But there wasn't ever, I didn't consciously ever sort of look at 
Marilyn Monroe or glamorous figures and mm. think, oh, I want to have eyes like that or lips like that. I suppose, yeah, I'd, I probably had taken it on board. I just wanted to look sort of natural. Right, yeah. And just not have white, great big So tell me about your weight then. When did that start to become a thing? So that I... So my dad and my, my dad jokes that I ate my way through the divorce and my sister starved herself because my sister was much... She's four years younger than me, mm. but she got very, very skinny. Um, and it sort of is a joke, but it's sort of also not. I think I was quite unhappy and food became a sort of crutch. And yeah, so I was chubby. Were you eating meals or were you eating sugar? I think both. Just whatever you could get. <laughs> Everything. Yeah. Um, and I remember a lot of crisps and a lot of Coca-Cola mm-hmm. because I don't think my mum worried too much as mums didn't in those days yeah. about... Yeah. It makes me sound like I'm 94, I'm not, I'm 34. <laughs> um, but about, you know, sugar yeah. and yeah, yeah. bad no, fats, no etc. Yeah, yeah. I mean, who the hell cares? And a lot of sweets. So yeah, I did get quite chubby when I was sort of early, like 11, 12, 13. And then really all the way through school, I considered myself um, a chubby person and... All the way through school until the age that boys became involved? Uh, after, in fact. Okay. boys, you know, I started, I suppose, having a crush on boys or crushes on boys. I mean, I say boys. There was basically one boy that I was in love with my entire teenage years because yeah. that was the only boy that I knew because I was at a single girl's school. Um, so yeah, it was a thing. It was a thing even after that. It was a thing until I was sort of... 20 probably and oh, really? then I okay. got into exercise but yeah so I was always conscious of being sort of bigger and mm-hmm. uncomfortable with it mm-hmm. and still in my head I'm sort of considering myself a big I make jokes about being big the whole time how tall are you? 5'11 okay so once you get that into your head though that yeah. idea of bigness it's quite hard bigness to ever shake that off bigness and yeah. I was the boy in the school plays and oh god all my closest girlfriends we had this joke about I once lied to this boy that I had a crush on for my entire school career mm. he asked how big my feet were mm. And he lived in Scotland near us, and I was in love with him, and uh, he was not remotely in love with me. But for some reason, I remember one, like, sort of Sunday lunch, he asked how big my feet were, and I lied, and I said they were size five, because I got into my head that I was a teenager at eight. Okay. Although I do tend to go into... I mean, people have... Shoe shops have got better these days, but I do still tend to go into shoe shops, and if I like something, I say, what's the biggest size you've got? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um... And I just, uh, and in my yearbook page, I did it all in an outline of a foot because my girlfriends just still think it was the funniest thing that I had to lie about the size of my feet. So yes, you're right. Bigness in your head becomes a thing and I'm still quite conscious of that. Bigness also culturally seems to be related to masculinity. Exactly. exactly. So it's quite hard to feel feminine. Feminine and sort of sexy I mean, maybe and that's elegant. changing, but definitely was the case. Yeah, I hope yeah. it is. I really hope it is. Mm. Um, but I definitely struggled with that. And again, to be at a boarding school where, God, you know, the anorexia and the bulimia mm. that was all around. And again, I think, so hang on, when did I leave school? 16 years ago. So I think things have obviously changed mm. a lot in terms of care for people eating, eating disorders, but it was rife for moments throughout my school career and therefore you felt sort of even bigger because you'd look at it's not obviously that you were sort of jealous of the anorexic girls but I did have moments when I was like oh I couldn't you're sort of almost wishing that I could be like that whereas I didn't have the willpower so I still have four pieces of toast at breakfast and elevenses and tea tell me then when you were at boarding school and around your your early years so let's Mm. say you know 13 when most people are getting into makeup and you were not so much getting into makeup yeah did you have any cosmetic things that entered your life that made you feel like a woman? Like perfume, mm. like hair products, like fake tan? Perfume perfume would have been one of the early things. Yeah, I remember everyone went mad for CK1. We had a CK1 mm-hmm. phase at school. That was huge. Um, Benefit Foundation, I think. That was my yeah. first ever foundation. One of those tubes. I think my stepmom might have given it to me for a birthday present. Right. 
And that was quite a big moment. I think your first foundation is a real sort of moment and you feel like a grown-up. Don't you think it can also start quite a bad relationship with your skin, though? Because if the foundation yeah. makes you look a bit weird... Then well, it makes have... you look all one tone. Yeah, When exactly. you actually don't want that. No. And whenever I have my makeup done for shoots or anything now, it's so interesting. I watch it so carefully because if the pros, or look mm-hmm. like you, obviously, you dab it, right? You don't put it all over in a yeah. sort of blanket. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm sure I did go around from the ages of say, you know, 16 to 20 Mm. with a completely orange face. And what was your skin like underneath the makeup? It's always, I mean, apart from the vitiligo, I was really lucky. I've never really suffered with acne or spots. Mm -hmm. I have slightly dry skin. Mm -hmm. Um, and whenever I go and have a facial, which is horrifyingly rare, they spend quite a lot of time on my nose doing extractions, (laughs) which makes me cry. Yeah. No, I've never had, yeah, I've never had sort of, it's never been too troublesome really yeah. skin. how old were you when you thought I'm going to be a writer uh, I was probably a sort of chubby teenager see that's the thing I always I always joke about it mm. um, I was a teenager my grandpa was a journalist and my on uncle, your dad's side my mum's side so okay. I always say my all my mum's side of the family well a lot of them were writers are writers my grandpa was a journalist and editor of mm-hmm. the Telegraph and worked at the Telegraph for sort of 70 odd years he was there his whole career and he wrote his last column the week that he died. Wow. Um, he was amazing. And then my uncle, his son, also worked at Telegraph his whole career. Uh, and his two sons, my cousins, then went into journalism. So really, I kind of grew up hearing about journalism and hearing very romantic ideas about journalism. See, my grandpa was young What were enough. the romantic ideas? Well, this is know. so amazing. So my... So my yes, so definitely. <laughs> so different these days. And it's all yeah, fake, it really fake is. news. Yeah. Um, back then, so my grandpa was very young and worked on Fleet Street in the days when Fleet Street was all newspapers. Yes. And remembers... I remember him talking to me about... He was so young. That's when all the press... The newspaper press, the printing presses were on Fleet Street as well. Mm. And if you were there early enough in the morning, four or five o'clock in the morning... Fleet Street apparently vibrated with the, the, with the vibrating of the printing presses going for all That's these papers that would then be sent across amazing. the country. Isn't that an amazing idea? Amazing. And that just totally gets me. I love that, that that was the industry and that's where it all yeah. happened and now it doesn't at all. Things it's... sort of really coming to life. Yeah, to exactly. Life. Yeah. And these stories being printed there and then and then being all dispatched everywhere. I, mm. I do think it's a very romantic idea. And okay. so, and I just love the sort of, you know, journalists are inherently were very gossipy. And so I grew up in quite a gossipy household, I think. And... Mm. Uh, sort of fell in love with it and then was your mum good at writing? yeah my mum's an amazing writer she mm. is a writer and she um, in fact yeah when I was a teenager she was writing she does quite a lot of sort of writing about country things mm-hmm. and now she's quite a lot of writing about marmalade because she's a gold award winning marmalade producer interesting <laughs> um, so no she's, a, she's an amazing writer and has influenced me a lot yes. I still remember some of the sort of columns um, that she wrote when I was a teenager about sort of pony club camp and things mm-hmm. um, so what were you reading when you were a teenager? Julie Cooper's such a sort of cliche, but she's amazing. Queen mm-hmm. Julie, so obviously Queen Julie. Um, I was about to say Enid Blyton, but not as a teenager. Oh, I tell you who I fell in love with as a teenager, and also I think is a big was a big influence. Is a mm. big influence. Maybe slightly weird, but Bill Bryson. Okay. So I was I became obsessed with Bill Bryson as a teenager, and I got all of his books. My mm-hmm. favorite, one of my favorite books. Oh, I'm going to get the name wrong now. It's, I think it's called Notes from a big island everyone always goes you mean notes from a small country and right. no I don't it's called I think it's notes notes from a big country and it was right. like the columns that he wrote from America which I think he did for the Mail on Sunday magazine when I was sort of 15, 16 okay sort of little vignettes of American life and he's just he's that sense of humour that humor. sounds great that very yeah it's brilliant yeah. and if I can't sleep I sort of pick it up and dip into it mm. um, those sort of very that sense of humour which is unusual I think for an American that very sardonic yes dry sarcastic sense of humour 
is absolutely my favourite thing. So I I had a huge crush. You know, most of my mm-hmm. peers at school were in love with like the Backstreet Boys back then, or Leonardo DiCaprio, and really Bill Bryson was <laughs> was my favourite one. Excellent. <laughs> Him and Prince William. He's not a tradition. I wrote him a letter. Enough. I wrote Bill Bryson a letter, and I got one back. And actually, what did you say in your letter? I just said, oh, I think I said, you know, I love you, and you know, you're amazing. <laughs> and probably sprayed it with CK one. Yeah, <laughs> I, just, I did get one. What back did he write back? He wrote one back, and also I can't remember, and I lost it, which is tragic and very uncaring for me. But I might have. Moved on to another crush by then. I have, I have this slightly with a writer called Mark Forsyth, who's written... Mm. Do you know who he, Yeah. Exactly, I know who he is. And um, his book, um, The Elements of Eloquence, oh, is one of... It. Oh, oh is it brilliant? One of the best things I've ever read. And mm. I go back to it again and again. I actually always have it on my bedside table because I dip into it all the time. Yeah. And I put it on Twitter that, you know, I'd read it and I thought he was brilliant. And he followed me. And I now periodically, because I do a lot of tweeting about, you know... Um, makeup. So I periodically check he's still following me, and he is. And that's, it's one of my greatest joys in life to check that Mark Forsyth yeah, follows so me. Great. <laughs> I just love him. So then you decided to do that. How did you? How did you get into? So that? then, yeah, okay. So so then I so left school, went to LSE to read mm-hmm. history, which was I suppose a bit of a weird. I mean, I sometimes kick myself that I didn't read English, and I don't sort of reference Ulysses or Beowulf <laughs> like a lot of people manage to. Um, but I, I love history. Loads I did love people. history. Yeah, yeah. And maybe yeah. everyone, all writers do that. So, <laughs> yeah. so I went to LSE to do history um, yeah. on the basis I didn't get into Oxford twice. Um, so what, did you have your heart set on going to Oxford? Well, I kind of did, but in a slightly arrogant way. And I mm. look back now and I'm exactly what they absolutely didn't want. And my interviews were terrible. Mm. Um, so it was probably much the right decision that they sent me elsewhere. And LSE is But did amazing. it knock your confidence amazing. at all? Um yeah I think it did a bit because I'd been at a very high achieving girls boarding school where mm-hmm. we'd sort of never it's that classic thing of we never failed we'd all yeah. got straight A stars and A level and A's at A level and yeah I mean I you know I passed my driving test first time all of those things yeah. all of those hurdles when you're you know that age so maybe a bit but I suppose I had enough friends that weren't also, that yep. also were in the same boat so okay. it was sort of all right so then was London um, quite a big change? Because yeah. you've been in the country, really. Um, I've been in the country, really. Yeah. Um, London was a bit of a weird choice. And I sometimes wonder if I could go back. I never want to say I'd take anything back in life. But mm. this is the one thing that I might not do because I loved LSE. But I can now generally count the number of university friends that I have on one hand. Yeah. I also fell in love with my tutor and went out with my tutor for two and a half years. So Is I that legal? Of... <laughs> I think it's legal, but it wasn't, yeah, we had to keep it secret for the first year. I'm thinking of Ross and that young girl. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. We had to sort of keep it a secret for the first year, which was all kind of sexy and exciting on campus. And I used to walk yeah, past yeah. and sort of... Was he actively teaching you? He was a, well, to be fair, he was also a PhD student. So yeah, so he was teaching. Okay. And he wasn't, I'm always, I tell this when I make him sound like he was 90. He, was, he wasn't, he was sort of... 14 or 15 years older than me but okay so he was 34 35 when I was 19 but I think now yeah. that's my age and I think if I had a guy friend of mine who turned around and said he was going out with a 19 year old girl I would be a bit like it's really Ooh. I've had exactly that where at the time when I was 19 I thought absolutely fine so being a 35 year old I'm exactly yeah. the same and now that I'm 34 I'm like actually yeah kind Aww, of odd is yeah creepy fine um, how long were you going out with him for we went out for two and a half years so it okay, wasn't a fine. sort of flash in the pan thing and yeah. the weirdest thing is my parents, my dad and my stepmom are still really... I mean, I, I'm, we're still in touch and we're really good friends. Mm. My dad and my stepmom are almost better friends because they live in Spain and he's an academic, so he gets long holidays. He goes out and writes papers and things wow. in the house. He actually got married in my parents' house in Spain no, last year. <laughs> yeah, which I quite love because it's, you know, it's... A I lot quite of like that It's really too. dysfunctional, but... No, I love that. If, that, if it works, and mm-hmm. I was thrilled for him... Mm-hmm. Great. So did that slightly take you out of campus life even so, more? Yeah, so yes, to come back to. So yeah. I really, I, my my university life, I think, was quite atypical. I didn't mm. really throw myself into 
the student union, all that sort of thing. If I had a picture of you in front of me now, what would you have looked like at that point? Oh my God, I was, I joke about this. And one of my sort of five friends I had at university um, is a girl called Emily. And Emily and I, I joke, we were the two sort of boarding school girls at LSE who we wore pashminas and tracksuit bottoms and do you remember there was a real vogue for like sparkly Indian slippers yes a shop on the King's Road from Ad Hoc yeah. yeah and they were useless because the first time you ever they A they really hurt yeah. your feet yeah. B the first time you ever wore them in rain they were completely ruined but we used to just you even like in tass- winter I yeah. remember like wandering about the streets in this outfit I used to have them in like seven colours and yeah in yeah. the winter yeah go on yeah <laughs> so then I basically I went to work for a sort of startup magazine called Spears Spearsworth Management Survey yes. which is sort of do you know about it yes. yeah it sort of is a magazine it's slightly a magazine about rich people for rich yeah. people which yeah. I know makes it sound it's terrible it's owned by the bank Julius Bear isn't it is it now well yeah, it's changed so. hands it was okay, then yeah. started up by a guy called William Cash the son of the very 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 Eurosceptic MP Bill Cash and it was his project and he actually I mean loathsome though it sounds he hit a moment in London when it was all sort of money 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 mm. before 2008 and mm. bankers were rolling in it and there was a lot of money around mm. and he was targeting them so I went to work for them and through them basically got in touch with the then editor of the Evening Standard right so when I left LSE I had this terrifying interview because I'm like my Oxford interviews I was so <laughs> terrible at interviews um, and I went and had a terrifying interview with the editor Veronica Wadley she was then and I think basically because I was so cheap I mean I was free for three mm. months mm. um she sort of took pity and gave me a job as a dog's body on the features desk, which was really lucky because when I wanted to get a job in journalism, I didn't even really know enough to have thought, do I want to be a news reporter? Do I want to be... I was just about to say, because yeah. you, to know what you want to do, I think when you're younger, if you've got an aptitude for writing or in fact for anything, you just think, I'll be a writer. Or, I'll yeah, be a journalist. exactly. You don't, you don't narrow it down. Exactly. You yeah. don't quite think how that works yeah. in terms of actually making money and being in a role. Yeah. So it's quite good in a way that you fell into somewhere that you really could flourish. Lo- I mean, so yeah. lucky that I, I would have been a totally crap news reporter because I would have been really bad at sort of, you know, hustling people for stories mm-hmm. and doorstepping and that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, so I got a, an assistant job on the features desk and, yes, sort of obviously made tea and I remember buying my wonderful, wonderful boss's tights from M&S on High Street Ken mm-hmm. and doing all those sort of things. And then, yeah, inevitably you get sort of thrown the odd bit to write every now and then and then you sort of claw- once you're in I say to people who ask for journalist advice once you're in somewhere the tr- the really hard bit I think with journalism is getting in somewhere mm-hmm. because there aren't well there are some graduate trainee schemes but yeah. not that many and it's a very difficult nut to crack and uh, but once you're in then it's up to you to really like cling on and be enthusiastic and write I mean my, I remember one of my first bosses at Standard wonderful woman called Jackie Annesley was like just never say no to an editor they give you something just get it done and write it and but did I you ever feel that you weren't equipped to write something you were given? Or did you just research and It was get features, on with it? so it yeah. wasn't really. It was, you know, back when I started on the Evening Standard, it was sort of writing the odd bit about the odd restaurant I'd get sent to, mm-hmm. or writing the odd bit about the how expensive rent was in London right. for a 20 something, or my love life, or it wasn't. Yeah, no, I didn't ever. There wasn't anything that was too impossible. I got. The, the, basically, I was lucky. I got given a column within about a year of being on the standard because I remember there was a news story about Ritalin you know yep. the ADHD drug yeah. my stepbrother takes it and he gave me a couple of pills to take when I was trying to finish off a university essay mm. it worked like a charm and I wrote pages and pages of what this essay what does it do to you? it's got it's got speed in it or something it just oh, really wow. makes you focus and concentrate okay. it really like 
you will sit down and you could... I mean, this is how long ago it was. I wrote this essay by hand. I remember going to a Starbucks and writing all yeah. that by hand, page and page. Like, mad, like scrawlings of a madman, yeah, practically, yeah. on this essay. Yeah. Um, but you really can't... And you look up and it's four hours later and you haven't noticed, you haven't got hungry, you haven't... And you do have a slight come down, that's the thing. I mean, I don't think it's very good for you and I think that it's been... Okay, you're kind of three selling it to me then. <laughs> I know, I know, yeah. because I have sometimes thought with books when I've been really up against it, I'm like, mm. oh, should I just get Harry to give yeah. me a couple of in? But I don't think you're necessarily... I don't think it's right necessarily for creative writing. Right, okay. It helped me with that essay, but I haven't ever taken it since. Yeah. Anyway, there was a new yeah. story about Ritalin. The editor, I remember saying in conference, there's a story about Ritalin. And I stuck my hand up and said, well, I've taken it. Can yeah. I so I wrote a column and then that was that, basically. So I just sort of clung on and probably wrote too much about love life and personal details, but I felt like I kind of had to do it when I was that age. I was asking you this before we started recording because it is a really tricky thing to write about your own life and not feel like you're selling your experiences. And yet, at the same time, yeah. storytelling is what's innate when you're a journalist. Yes, it, it totally is. I've actually never felt... I mean, I do... I write... I've written actually more recently about my love life because I had a very sad breakup last year. I never feel like I've given too much away. I'm not... It's very mm. weird. I'll sit down to write a piece and it sounds incredibly naive, but I it's just me and my laptop mm-hmm. I sort of almost don't think that it's mm-hmm. going to be read by other people which yeah. is kind of sounds crazy I guess to people who aren't writers and aren't journalists but you just write mm. basically because you want to write it and you feel like you've got to write something Hey I'm Ryan Reynolds At Mint Mobile we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does They charge you a lot we charge you a little So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I was quite interested when I was reading up on you that your dad had said change your name yeah. to go into journalism because yeah. you'll encounter prejudice or yeah. opinions about mm-hmm. who you are. Mm. Um, and you didn't. <laughs> well, he told me before I even left school. I right. think he said it to me when I was about sort of 16, 17. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I probably was saying in a sort of you know arrogant fashion, I'm going to be a journalist. Um, and I just sort of dismissed it because I thought why why do I need to I suppose I didn't understand then mm. what I might be up against it comes back to what we were talking about earlier about the not really realizing how privileged or lucky you are yeah um and I certainly didn't understand the connotations of my name yeah. because no one had ever really laughed at it before mm. um and I also think that sort of class antagonism has got worse in this country in recent years you know you just have to look at the Tory leadership campaign mm-hmm. for example to mm-hmm. see that and I totally understand why mm-hmm. you know we're sick of Vitonians being prime minister fair enough um, so I think 
my name, I totally see to people really winds them up and they would have real preconceptions about it. I'd think, oh my God, she's probably unbearable. <laughs> but if you could go back now, would you have made that change? Yeah, again, really? I, actually, it's the second thing I said that I would change if I could go back. I think I, yeah, I think I might. I really? Just, I'm, I'm really proud of it and I love it, mm. but I, it's a difficult one because I, and I've stuck, at, I've stuck with it and now I wouldn't change it because mm. I sort of feel like I've sort of worked to try and make and yeah, you've myself. through it, yeah. Kind of, but I... You know, there was a Guardian journalist who not so long ago said that my name made her want to die. I saw that. Yeah, and I was just like, how is that acceptable to say about it's someone? It's completely unacceptable. And I remember really, like, finding that very hard and thinking, that's so mean. Like, it's... Oh, it's it, hideous. It makes me so It's so cross. mean. Like, I just wouldn't yeah. ever say that about anybody else's name. No. So, yeah, I think I might go back... I mean, God knows what I would have chosen. I'm but... kind of glad that you didn't, though. Like, just because I think that actually... You work hard, you write well, you, you know, you're entitled Hopefully to have the job you I'm have. I'm not as sort of unbearable and spoiled but as people might think. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's yeah. just your name. Like, it's so unfair to make yeah. you feel crap about that. I think that's really awful. It is just one of those prejudices. I think, you know, posh people, people particularly at the moment, just, you know, the posh thing is a big deal in this country. Yeah, so yeah, I do get yeah. it. I see it. And I, try I, know, and, make, I and I try and make jokes about it the whole time because I think yeah, that's yeah, the only yeah. way you can really deal with it. Tell me about Tatlet. I tried not to go and work for Tatler. I actually turned him down for a job twice before. Because I just you? thought, I can't be called to fly money goods and I can't sound like this. But and the writing in Tatler Yeah, but the writing in Tatler is phenomenal. Brilliant. And so many brilliant writers. You yeah. A. Gill, Giles Corran, lots of people mm. started out there. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a real sort of training house for a lot of brilliant writers. Um, I think A. A. Gill's first ever piece that he wrote actually was about going to rehab. And it was in Tatler. Was it? Yeah, it's a really brilliant piece. Okay. It's in... I think it might be in his book, his autobiography, Paul Mean. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. Is, I think it's in there. But, um, yeah. yeah, it's an amazing story. Uh, so, yeah, so then as soon as I sort of stopped being so silly about it and went, I I, I had the best five years. Did you? Five years. It was just, okay. it was such a family. I was really lucky. The editor, Kate Reardon, is amazing. Mm-hmm. And the team that she sort of amassed around her were all still really close friends. We see each other the whole time. So what I think yeah. Kate tried to do, because I mean, Tatler in this day and age, it's a very difficult product to sell, not even mm-hmm. sell in the physical sense on the shelves, although I think that's true, but sell in sort of people's minds. Yeah. Right? It's sort of abhorrent to a lot of people, <laughs> a society magazine when it's 2019, how mm-hmm. gross. So what Kate tried to do and we tried to do was make it funny, as funny as we could and not exclusive. So you could read it if you were a duke and mm-hmm. laugh, but if you weren't a duke, you could read it and laugh as well. And you felt like you were in on the joke. And it yes. was sort of, we were all laughing together at this mad, eccentric, aristocratic world. Because I really think that's the only way that you can look at sort of high society. But I was, yeah, it, I was reading it then. I thought it was incredibly days. charming the way that it was told. Yeah, it was hopefully. Kind of, it it's was... tongue-in-cheek. It's, yeah. quite a, it's quite a fine line to dance. And mm. I definitely, there were some interviews I did with certain people where... Yeah. I think they felt like I was taking the piss out of them too much. Okay. Like, sort of, there's one particular, or actually two dukes that I interviewed who I got quite cross emails. I think, again, you've got, dukes have got to have a sense of humour these days, I've realised that right. it's, it's not medieval England and they've got to have a sense of humour about their yeah. position and how fortunate they are. Um, so yes, we just tried to write about that world with a sense of humour mm-hmm. so that it didn't seem too snotty and awful. So during that time, there's this perception of what working at a glossy magazine looks mm. like. Did you feel the need to dress or look a certain way weirdly actually yes i was going to write about this recently because there was a study i think that came out last week saying that the sale of loungewear has gone up 20 percent in britain in the past five years which doesn't surprise me at all because i'm now freelance and i work from home genuinely in leggings mm-hmm. every single day in a t-shirt mm-hmm. um but when i was at tatler yes we it wasn't that we were told we were sort of 
uh, we were kind of expected to look nice, I suppose. Right. So it was like, you know, neat hair, heels slightly mm-hmm. were like a thing. But it's so in Vogue House, isn't it? It's Vogue so House, which yeah. everyone always has. Yeah, Vogue House is obviously quite a glamorous place. Actually, it's sort of, once you're in there, bits mm. of it are much less glamorous than you might imagine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yes, yeah, so it was quite, slightly Devil's Prada. I did, I mean, God, because I'm quite an untidy person and underneath my desk, I must have amassed about sort of 14 pairs of heels that mm-hmm. I normally run around in trainers the whole time. Mm-hmm. And so I would run around in trainers, but then come and slip on my heels. So I did go through a real heel wearing pencil skirt, sort of silk shirt Plank wearing phase. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I was definitely a bit smarter and sort of did polish up my act a little bit back mm-hmm. then, but now I'm a total slob again. Did you have makeup? Yeah, again, it was sort of, um, I suppose, yeah, I would do, make more effort, sort of bit more on the eyes maybe, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and got more into, I don't know, things like, yeah, just more detailed stuff, you know, was more careful about my eyebrows. But it sounds instance, like it's quite those... practical to you, like, you're not, to... so sometimes I guess if someone was describing where they did their eyes, they'd say, you know, and I added eyeshadow and I did this and that, but you're like, well, I put more on the eyes. Yes, no, I suppose, it's yeah. very practical. I suppose, yeah, exactly. I've never been a very detailed makeup person I think you know I do the same makeup probably awfully that I've done for a long time mm. these days I'm obsessive about skin like I said dry skin mm. and actually that leads me on to so I had Botox the first time when I was at Tatler mm. because I worried I turned 30 and suddenly panicked about the lines of my forehead and my crow's feet around my eyes <laughs> so I emailed Fran the beauty editor and said Fran I'm a bit worried yeah what should I do and she said you actually don't have to worry. Here you go. This is who you go and see. The day that I went, it was the day that I was having my first date with my now ex-boyfriend. And mm. I you have, I had little bee stings. You have for sort of 20 minutes after um, having Botox. And I wasn't... I, you looked like you'd been attacked by a sort of horde of mosquitoes. And I remember getting an Uber to Tatler office afterwards, going to work and texting a friend of mine, Annabelle, saying, Abba, I've just had Botox, but I've got a date tonight. Am I going to let She was like, no, don't be ridiculous. You're absolutely fine in half an hour. Yeah. Um... And it was free. So I was, yeah, so I'm sort of more detailed and well, fast what, what about What do you skin. think of the Botox, though? Well, so, so it doesn't take, it doesn't kick in for two weeks, really. And then, it, and then I loved it. And then I Did really you? loved it. Because also it has um, hyaluronic acid yeah. in it. So it makes your skin really, well, for some people, too shiny. Okay. I really, once you've had it, you then really notice. You must notice it when you're doing makeup. Yeah, yeah, you can yeah, tell yeah. who's had yeah. it. Obviously, because their face doesn't necessarily move if they've had too much, but... Um, very very glowy and I know I did love it and it does make I mean it unquestionably makes you look you know younger and less wrinkly mm. but I then had it so I had it a couple of times after that and then at one point I had it I actually because then I, had, I left Tatler I had to start paying for it which is a bit of a bummer mm. so I went somewhere else cheaper and I did get I mean I think this can happen quite often I, I bruise the outside of my eye slightly right. and I managed to hide it from my boyfriend for about a week I sort of kept putting my yeah. hair over and then, but one evening when I was drying my hair, sitting on the floor in front of a mirror, he suddenly caught sight of it in the light. He's like, babe, what is that? Yeah. And I was like, oh, uh, it's just a little procedure. And he knew I'd had it before because I eventually, I, I eventually told him I'd had it on, before our first date. But he sort of kicked off and got really upset about it. He was like, but that's cosmetic. Therefore, that is something that we should discuss. Oh. And it sort of annoyed me. I got quite cross and fought back because honestly... He wouldn't have even noticed, if he hadn't seen the bruise, he wouldn't have even, how many men would have even noticed? Yeah. And actually, it's not, I don't agree that it's something, if it's something that mattered to me and was important to me. So, uh, anyway, it wasn't, I, I haven't had it since, and actually we're not together, so it's not because of that. I mm. just sort of, I suppose I've relaxed a little bit about ageing and kind of don't want to look, I look back at photos of myself back then and I do look a bit too tight right. at moments and yeah. it does look a bit shiny. 
And I think also at some point you've probably got to stop. Mm. You can't carry on having it forever. And then, and then you know, you might have a worse shock when yeah. suddenly your face falls down around your ankles. That's the reason so... I, I don't do it because I think you're, you're fighting a losing battle yeah. anyway. You yeah. might as well get used to your face in increments. Yeah, I totally respect <laughs> yeah. everyone's, anyone who does. And yeah. I, you know, I fully hold my hands up and say I did it and I loved it. And it, God, it really makes me laugh when there are certain you know, celebrities and actresses that I've given it, I've given it up and quite clearly... They, they have haven't. Not. Yes. Um, but uh, yeah, I just decided that I think it's probably more graceful to not do it mm-hmm. and just not be hideously surprised when then one day suddenly things look a bit older. Is there a time or is there a place in your life for cosmetics? And I mean in any respect, so hair, scent, makeup, skincare where you've really thought, you've gone out somewhere and thought, I'm going to buy something mega expensive because I feel shit and I just want something nice in my life. Oh, uh, what is the most expensive beauty thing? I mean, haircuts always. Yeah, I remember once, so when I was working at the mail and we got paid quite well at the mail, I remember once I went to, what's that salon at the top of Harvey, is it Daniel Galvin at the top of oh, Harvey Nicks? Yeah, Hershison's in Hersh- there now. Oh, Hershison, no, yeah. sorry. Well, it one of but them. But there might have been Daniel Galvin. But I remember, Galvin, this is back in yeah. the days when I was blonde, and I remember I went and spent something like, 360 quid on a haircut and balayage like blonde very blonde yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean that, yeah. oh my god that amount of money like mm-hmm. it's almost immoral spending that amount of money but hair has always slightly been my I'm always obsessing about my hair in real life in photos um, in terms of would you like it to be different or you I just sometimes think I look at Instagram and I look at people with sort of seemingly perfect hair and I think oh whose hair do you love glossier than mine I, I basically I love oh Who's do I really love? Well, the look is basically very sort of long, glossy, healthy-looking right. hair. Um, oh, I can't now think of anyone. I'm really bad at this, thinking people. people. But just whenever I spot, frankly, at the moment, half the girls in Love Island have got... But, and I know it's extensions. I know a lot of... I don't watch Love Island, I, so I don't... Yeah, yeah. Okay, but the people with the really thick... People with very yeah. thick, glossy, lovely hair. And actually, Indian Night's written brilliantly before about extensions from... I think Hershans are the place that she says she gets them from, and they're amazing, and they're worth it. And you have this incredibly full head of very luxury luxuriant yeah hair I would love that and actually, I have very long hair anyway but I just I think it's sort of I worry that it's dry sometimes and it's a bit broken at the ends mm. and I just would love to have that sort of proper Disney princess do hair. you have a hair care like ritual I want to say hair no care actually interestingly having, having le- well I don't know if it's interesting to anyone else bar me um, <laughs> but interestingly having left Tatler and I did wash it every single day because also I used to bike into Tatler and then quite okay. often go for it I was got can be a bit manic about exercise sometimes because it relates to weight mm-hmm, and how I feel mm-hmm. like myself and so I would bike into Tatler, then go for a run around Hyde Park and then be sweating and disgusting. So I used to wash my hair every day. Okay. And going freelance, actually, that stopped. Um, I don't know why. I suppose because I'm not biking so much mm-hmm. and also running a bit less as well. And so I feel like... Is I that your exercise you do? You run? I, well, I've run a bit. I do yoga. I go through phases. Do yoga, Pilates, mm-hmm. run. I actually, my favourite thing at the moment is walking. Okay. If I just walk as far as I can with podcast or music or actually just with my thoughts. Mm-hmm. Or if I'm trying to think about a sort of a book plotline or novel sort of character, it's really, you know, walking, it's not everyone. You know, a lot of people obviously have written this before. It really helps mm. more than... Because I think running helps on those two, but it hurts running. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. walking is... There's so that walking, thing of plodding and putting Yeah, and I live near the towpath and yeah. I'm obsessed. I love... I sort of have this thing about seeing the river every day. So I was down yeah. there this morning going for a walk along the river. Mm-hmm. It just sort of sorts me out, sort of mentally, emotionally. Yeah. Um, so now I've, I've now got my, my hair washing down to about every four days, I think. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, okay. which it's just less... Do you straighten it? Yes. Yeah, unfortunately, I have to dry it and then I and then I do have to run because otherwise it's just frizzy. Um, that is why I think it looks sometimes a bit straw-like. Which straighteners do you use? 
the big GHDs. Fine, okay. Which have lasted There's me. Honestly, GHD, damage. I have had in my life, I started, I bought a pair when I was at school, when I was like 17. Mm. And I've had one, that lasted like six, seven years and I've had one pair since. No, I know, they're pretty amazing. amazing. They go on for yeah. Ages. yeah. If a fire alarm went off in your house. Yes. And you had to run outside at five in the morning, mm. you know, not done up, completely dishevelled and you were, say your entire friendship group were for some very well, strange reason outside. somebody that I fancied. Yeah, and someone you fancied. <laughs> would you feel, would that to you feel uncomfortable? Um, I, I, do you know what's so funny? My instinctive thought first was like, oh my God, what's my hair like? <laughs> yeah. So I worry more about my hair than my face. Mm. Um, no, it wouldn't. Mm. I think also partly, I mean, I've got makeup on now, but I, because I'm freelance and I do spend a lot of time now at my kitchen table in my leggings or in my coffee shop, which mm-hmm. is 50 yards away. Do you write I don't from your tend to. Shop? Yeah, I, I move around. I write. Yeah, yeah, no, I have to. Yeah. Um, or bed. I wrote from my bed this morning. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't tend to wear makeup that much anymore. You know, Tatler every morning mm-hmm. because I was, you know, had a pr- proper professional job. I put yeah. makeup on, and now I don't. So I think I've got more relaxed about mm-hmm. going out in public without makeup. But but I do mind about going out in my hair looking sort of not nice. Okay. <laughs> Tell me about novel writing. When you're picturing your characters. Do you see what they look like in your head? Are they living humans of flesh and Not hair? at first, okay. but by the end, yeah. So this okay. is what I'm trying to do because I'm writing my third novel at the moment. Yeah. It's so weird at the beginning you sit and you just have this sort of... I always do names first mm-hmm. because that helps. So at the moment my heroine is called Florence, my new heroine. That could change. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I sort of try and build outwards from there. Um, but no, I never instantly have a sort of fully formed picture. Right. And I never... You know, you just don't know your characters. It's I used to sort of hear writers talk about characters. You know, in a bit, mm. a bit like J.K. Rowling talks about all her characters as if they're real life people. And it used to sort of, I used to think it was slightly pretentious and annoying. But I so get it now because if you don't believe them, then yeah. who else is going to? And they are like they are real. They are people. Um, and so no, now I totally get it. But you never know them at the beginning, so I mm. have to develop how what they look like i'm a bit worried that quite often my all my heroines look quite similar which is sort of a bit like me my two novels so far have been uh first person and well my first one was definitely quite autobiographical my second one is less so but i still think i i i I think imagination is a muscle and somehow you know when we're kids we all rewrite stories and we have that imagination Mm -hmm. somehow we lose it and Mm -hmm. then when i started trying to write my first novel and i think this is true for a lot of writers sort of open up your laptop or you sit there with a blank page and you think shit, what can I write about? I'm just going to write about what I know. Yeah. Thus, it is quite autobiographical. Yeah. Um, and then, as you start, you know, I'm much better now that I've written two novels and I'm writing a third at noticing little things in daily life or overhearing snippets of conversation. Mm-hmm. And I think, ooh, that could be a thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that muscle in your head, that imagination muscle gets stronger, basically, the more you exercise it. Mm-hmm. And that's true, I think, with with developing characters. So now, hopefully, my heroines will, will stop Potentially looking and sounding quite like me, yeah. so like me. And do you have structure today? You set, you know, going for the walk sets you up for the morning. And do you have an end point? Because sometimes if you're writing at home, yeah, when do you stop working? You just sit in your pajamas, drinking tea all day. Yeah, um, I have to write in the morning. I'm really religious about it. Like this morning, I got up at five a.m. and I had to write a column. So that, and the, but that's fine. I can yeah. write really. So I wrote a column in an hour and a half this morning. But if I tried to do that at four p.m., I just, I just happen. wouldn't. It just wouldn't happen. And I think that's quite true for a lot of writers. So I can write sort of quite madly until about sort of 10, 11. Um, and then I normally have to go for a walk or a run. Mm-hmm. And then I normally have another burst in the afternoon. Do you cook yourself lunch? Yeah, I tend to, or I get a sandwich from my coffee shop. Okay. Um, or have scrambled eggs. Again, I'm sort of quite basic during the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
And then I might sort of go for another walk and buy supper or something in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. And then I could have another burst at about six o'clock. So, but really the majority of my stuff has to be done in the morning. It's quite a long day though, so you're quite disciplined about... Yeah, yeah, I suppose it is, but I never feel like, I mean, I suppose like a lot of us, we just, you know, I always feel like I could be doing more and I should be doing more and I should be writing thousands and thousands of words a day. At the end of the day, are you someone who has a bath or does anything nice for yourself? Bath obsessive. Okay. Um, That's a very common theme among writers who've been on, on the podcast. Ah, they're all bath obsessive. Yeah, I love my bath. Yeah. Um... Although, actually, I'm not allowed on that moment because I had my appendix out last week, so my, yes. my sort of dressings. Um, yeah, I love a bath, but I, have, I, I absolutely have to have a bath. I'm very um, mad about having to have a bath or a shower immediately before I go to bed. Right. I hate getting to bed. With You know, like, so it's summer, right, at the moment. We've got, got bare legs. We've been walking around London all day on the tube, wandering, mm. wandering, wandering. And also, I moisturised my legs this morning. Your legs are a bit sticky and dirty. They've got... How do people get into bed with sort of sticky legs? If I don't have a shower, <laughs> I get in and wash my feet. Yes, feet is the other thing. Yeah. Sticky feet and sticky legs. It's I have just... to wash my feet. Oh, I find it disgusting so getting into the dirty feet. Do you um, moisturise every time you shower? Yes. Your whole not, body? Not whole body. I moisturise and I serum and moisturise my face obsessively. Yeah. I moisturise... No, I don't moisturise my legs in the evening because, again, I don't want to get in bed with sticky feet. Oh, but interesting. I, or the sticky legs. Okay. But I try to in the morning. So I did this morning. For what do you use? Oh, okay. Well, this is a recent discovery. Well, Walida Skin Food. I yes. use it for face. The big thick yeah. green tube. Very well, not for face. Very thick. The body. Very hard to yeah. spread. But I discovered it was a makeup artist who told me actually about it a couple of years ago. It's cheap as a tenner, mm. and it lasts forever. It's basically like eight hour Elizabeth Arden yeah. eight hour cream, but sort of more organic and yeah. cheaper. Um, so I put it on my face sometimes with a night cream, and then you sort of stick to your pillow mm-hmm. like print stick all night. But I discovered I was in America a few months ago, and I found a big tub of. Body butter will eat a organic skin yes, stuff. They've just launched it. Here. Oh, have they? Amazing. Yeah. So I'm. I basically put that on my legs every morning, and it's amazing because I used to get. You know, in the winter when you're wearing tights a lot, you get what I call leg dandruff. Yeah. To hitch up your tights and yeah. little puffs yeah. of little clouds of white flakes come out of yeah. your tights. It's so disgusting. I can't bear having dry skin, so that doesn't happen to me because I'm insane about moisturising my body. But I know when I've been on holiday and you get back and your legs Scaly. are more dry. Yeah, Blah. I get that then. Yeah, no, definitely. Mad. In the winter when I'm crap about shaving and yeah. perpetually very single and <laughs> so don't bother really much about leg care. Yeah. Um, my legs are a bit of a state. But we'll either this body butter yeah, stuff body is butter, amazing yeah. so I use that. But it's too yeah. sticky to put on at night. So yeah, no, I bath and shower always, always, always before Yeah, bed. before you get into bed. It also relaxes mm. your muscles a bit when you've been like 10 Yeah, even if I get home really drunk, I will oh, do still you? have a bath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Because also, I, I can't bear that thing of, I never go to bed with makeup on. Right. And because I tend to wear, Good. if I'm going out in the evening, I tend to wear big, big, big eye makeup. Yeah. I have to get that off. And actually, it's much easier. I hate washing my face over a basin because you know that thing when water trickles down your elbows and it gets all over your feet and your floor and your, then it's your sort of bathroom. Yeah, it's like yeah, a yeah, sort of yeah. pond. Yeah. It's just easy to get in the bath and just splash it all over. So what do you wash your face with then? Uh, at the moment, I'm not very faithful to anything. Um, at the moment, I've got a Kiehl's like face a wash. wash. Uh, oh, I tell you what I love. Um, oh, I tell you what I love. And now I can't remember. It's so good that I can't remember its name. Oh, it's not. It's that funny thing in a tub. It's like eight ninety nine for my chemist. It's very, a lot of makeup pond. No, it's not ponds. It's a. Uh, it's like it almost. It sounds like Clearasil, but it's not. Oh, uh, oh yeah, I know exactly. Do you know what, what I mean? mean? Oh yeah. my god! It's not Sarah Saravia. C- it's the other yeah, one. Yeah, to see though, isn't it? Cetaphil. Yes, yeah, yeah, Cetaphil. Exactly. That's yeah. amazing. Not yeah. Cetaphil. And again, that was a Tatler trick. The one that the beauty editor said, "This is amazing." Lots of people use it. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's very. So I use that. Or um, inoffensive. What's um? Oh God! What's the one that you use with a muslin? Yvonne. No, less expensive than that. Elemis. No, she's Lizard. Lizard. 
So yes. love is out as well. Yes. So I sort of hop between those, I would yeah, say. Yeah, really. yeah, yeah. Fight yeah, so you just like to get it off in the shower quickly. And then it's just so much easier from the bath and you don't get puddles all over yeah. your bathroom floor. And are you into perfume now? What would you use? Yeah, I am quite... My ex-boyfriend was super into sort of perfume, so that was quite nice to me. And he bought me some amazing ones. So I... What have I got today? I've How got nice of I know, yeah, and he loved it as well. Yeah. So he was very... Well... I had a bi- I got a Byredo one mm. when I can't which one it's in my bag actually. Um, Do you carry your perfume around with you? Well, only because actually because I've seen you oh. actually. So, so you I thought, thought you'd I should, bring okay, Byredo Eleven Power, which right. is really nice. 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 It's very pomegranate noir. It right. basically smells like pomegranate noir. Oh yeah, it does. Oh, but it's um, it's a bit more bursting. I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's probably yeah. It's lovely. It's really nice. I tend to really love very oody like right. Tom Ford I went through a long phase of wearing just Tom Ford Black Orchid yes which is incredibly overpowering some people hate it yeah um, but I, I don't know living in Abu Dhabi and Dubai for two years this oud is used by over there in everything and I, I but I kind of love that and a lot mm. of people can't stand it mm. but that's what I tend to gravitate to very strong um, quite overpowering sort of scents like yeah. that which yeah. during the day I do see are a bit much sometimes but I love them. So yeah, you like too bad everyone else in the lift. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> right. Final three questions that I'm asking everyone on the podcast. Okay. Yes. You do you have notes? Yeah, well I've got done. notes. I'm going to try and right. look. I'm such a sort of teacher. Good girl. Pet. Get your notes out. Just kind of look. No, I right. like that. Right. Okay. Yes. Number one. Yeah. Greatest triumph, career or personal? Well, I kind of I've got answers to both of these. I mean, I think career-wise, it's my two books which feel like my children and I never thought I'd be so lucky as to have two novels published Mm -hmm. so those really I'm very proud of I mean I'm absolutely my second one's coming out I'm so nervous about it but I'm still proud 22nd of August right um and it's like sending out a sort of child into the world and I'm quite careful about not reading reviews reviews. I still haven't read any of my Amazon reviews from my first one and even the good ones I mean my publishers send me the nice bits but I even don't really like I sort of scan them yeah yeah. Um, but I just think I I used to listen to or read interviews with actors and actresses and they'd say oh no I never look at anyone I never watch myself or I never Mm -hmm, interviews mm -hmm. and I used to think god that's a bit arrogant Mm -hmm. Um, but I really get it now like Mm -hmm. once you've done something you've done it it's out there just nothing that you can do can change yeah. someone's opinion whether it's good or bad just don't worry about it yeah so um so my books personally i i think this is the almost more important way like the past sort of seven eight months since my breakup mm. it was a really sad breakup and how long were you together for not that long a year and a half but mm. um but that, i think when you're this age yeah. it's you know and and for a while it, i it was going to be it and the big relationship and it was amazing and he's very amazing um uh and then i i called it off and was really really sad for a long time mm-hmm. and I, I sometimes think it's obviously hideous for the person being dumped but the person doing the dumping when you know i broke mm-hmm. up with him for various reasons but it wasn't that i didn't love him it was just like sort of didn't think that it was necessarily forever but i hadn't fallen out of love with him i just sort of felt like i had to make that call because it was yeah. unfair on him and so then in the past sort of seven eight months nine months I think maybe now I I you know I went to see a therapist and I've done a lot of reading and sort of thinking about life and listening to different podcasts mm-hmm. um got really into um Oprah and Eckhart Tolle did a 10-part podcast series about Eckhart Tolle's book A New Earth which came after The Power of Now mm-hmm. and I'm sure a lot of people will be rolling their eyes and being like oh god 
there are some sort of self-help stuff but I think yeah. you know whatever helps yeah. right yeah and so I got very into that and there's a sort of quite wacky American guy called Joe Dispenza who was also helpful about sort of just positive thinking how are you feeling after so um are you someone who did anxiety creep in or was it more just the classic you felt sad I think no I not anxiety it. I just felt very low I mean I had a bad breakup before him as well which mm. really knocked me for six I'm I'm not very good with breakups I think well hopefully I'm Got better. Yeah. Um, I just, it's desperately, desperately sad, isn't it? And that person who was everything and was there and was that person that you texted a million yeah. times a day suddenly isn't. And yeah. it is like grief. And I, and, and also when you're the dumper, that thing of you hurting them, like you hurting the person. Oh, so you've got me, guilt as well as grief. I sort of cry now. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Guilt. There was huge, I've, and I still feel very guilty and, and although I'm working on that. Um, yeah, I think it's really horrible to know that you've hurt someone that you love so much mm. and, and their friends and their family and you've let down, you know, I sort of beat myself up for such a long time about that and still do. Mm. So, but I have done a lot of reading and therapy and talking and thinking about myself and how I react to things. And that's, I feel like I have come on, come on. Mm. I've sort of learnt and, uh, yeah, just learnt a lot in the past seven yeah. months, which I think hopefully will stand me in good stead sort of forever. So that is almost the thing that I'm proudest of ever really. I feel like, you know, I I look at a lot of girlfriends of mine, I feel almost jealous that they've seen me. I mean, no one obviously has gone through life untroubled, but I look at friends who've sort of, you know, got married, had babies, done the whole tick, 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 seemingly from my Mm. point of view. And I'm sure, you know, everyone has their issues. And I just sometimes in my low moments, it's like, it's unfair. Why do I feel like I, you know, haven't had it so easy? But yeah, but um, I mean, I have had it very easily and I'm very lucky in many ways. But um, but yeah, so I feel like I've got my head around a lot of yeah. stuff basically in the past. Yeah, yeah. Eight, so you've taken something really shit and done the best. Yeah, you could exactly, with it. and yeah. turned it into a hopefully a, a positive thing. Yeah, that's a really good thing to be proud about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What piece of advice would you give to your younger self? Uh, oh, what did I write down for this? Uh... And what age is your younger self that you're talking oh, to? Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, again, well, this comes back to slightly what we were talking about earlier. I have a slight shame that I didn't work as hard as I could have done at university because I was busy sort of being romantic and falling in love. And I suppose that goes for a lot of people. But also, in a way, now, you kind of use that. So, to some extent, you are Like a story. Research. Oh, I yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, yeah, just work hard at university. And also, those three years, mm. when you don't really, let's face it, have that much to do. Like, read more books. Just yeah. like, do... You know, we're all so frenetic when you get older and you have jobs and then you have children and you're running around and you don't have a spare second and you want to read more, but you fall into bed and you read a page and then fall asleep. Read more books and just sort of, yeah, work. I wish I'd worked harder when it's I was It's so university. hard though, isn't it? But I'm, you can't yeah. tell. You can tell a university student that because no. you sound like a total wanker. But also, but when I wish I had uni, known that. you're like, because I remember thinking at uni, oh, I wish I were doing more, but you don't know what to do. No. So it's like... Exactly. But if I think back now, God, the, the thought of now going to university for three years and having all that, three years to sort of study, you know, I loved history and I still yeah. remember a lot of the stuff I did I did a whole um unit on like India becoming independent and Nazism and stuff I'm really genuinely interested in Mm. and the creation of Israel and I just did I mean I did pay attention I didn't pay enough I should have sort of read more I'd love to now just have time to read books on a subject that I just at the time just you wanted and didn't really yeah exactly and if you could invite three people dead or alive to a dinner party yes who would they be and why would you invite them really random collection um I tried not to be 
too boring with these because I think people can be really boring. So, oh, Winston Churchill. So he's not one. Sorry, okay. Winston. Um, Queen Victoria. I'm obsessed with Victorian age. I've just actually read um, The Doll Factory by Elizabeth Neal. I'm obsessed Neal. with the Victorian. No, I haven't read it. Oh, okay. Well, you will love. Um, it's a yeah. debut novel and it's unbelievable. And you can literally smell Victorian England and hear Victorian England. Oh, my God. England okay. It's really that. cool. Okay. So, yeah. So I love Victorian England and Queen Victoria. Obviously, Queen Victoria. over it all. Yeah. She was such a fascinating woman. You she know, was. Like, but I think the era is more interesting. Yeah. The, the era is partly, I suppose, because of my love for the era as well. Yeah. But I think... Yes, no, I she's love... still a very interesting woman, but I think she sounds she's... quite terrifying. She was well. quite, she was quite terrifying, even though she was about sort of three foot mm. um, and a sort of little pudding <laughs> of a woman. Um, but I would still kind of like to ask her about the times yeah. and you know, gone and hung out with her in Windsor Castle. Uh, so um, she'd be one. My granny is my dad's mum. She's called Anne. Is one. She died when I was in my early twenties, and I just I was very close to her, and mm-hmm. I miss her every day. And there's a lot of stuff sort of in my late 20s and 30s, I wish I could have asked her now. She, right. she, um, her husband, my grandpa, left her, um, left her for someone who was so young, his second wife, that she was a bridesmaid at his first, at their first wedding. What? Yeah, so it was apparently yeah. it was a, sort of quite a sort okay. of scandal in the 60s, or 60s, yeah, 60s. Yeah. And, but my granny, and she never remarried, she was single the rest of her life, mm. uh, but she was the most amazing together woman. So intelligent, and I, there's just so much stuff that, I, you know, she, mm. I was relatively old when she died, so I was lucky that I knew her and was very close to her. But a lot of, you know, in more recent years, sort of love life stuff and mm. just general life stuff that I wish I could have asked her because she was so wise. And I think when we're little, we don't necessarily appreciate our grandparents because yeah. they're sort of boring and fusty and old. And, you know, Granny, I do remember taking, dragging me around sort of museums and art exhibitions I wasn't terribly interested in when I was little. Yeah. But then you get older and you sort of, I wish I had had more yeah. time. So yeah. she would be one. So Queen Victoria granny they might not have got on because i think they were both quite formidable women and then this is the other this is a sort of really random one but i have had a crush on my brother and my sister joke about my suicidal music taste and i love passenger okay what do they sing <laughs> passenger oh his famous song is um let her go basically okay do you remember i can't sing i can't sing it on the... I have to look it up. let her go well, you will. You'd recognise it. Okay, on the fine. Radio. I will listen to it. Anyway, he's got his guy. Fun. He's called Mike in real life, and he he was a busker, and he you'd recognise some of his. I think you recognise some of his. Okay. They're very sort of. Uh, I mean, I'm sure some people would like scoff at me saying it's sort of folksy, but he's got an amazing voice, and I've seen him live, mm. and he's very funny live. And you met very him. John, no, I've met him, but I really feel like a massive stretch because he's not like mega famous. No, he's not. Oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he's yeah. I just I love him, and I. Love I always think that when I get into someone who's moderately famous, I'm like, I could actually meet. Yeah, exactly. This could happen. It's not Michael Jackson. Um, so I... Well, a bit like when I was a teenager. And I, well, I mean, he was world famous, obviously, but I was, mm. I was convinced I was going to marry Prince William. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. Could happen. That's a bit and I did harder. see him once at a polo match, and I thought, you know, I was in. I mean, honestly. <laughs> he used um, to be very good looking. He was time. I was a bit so handsome, yeah. a sort of golden boy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Passenger, Mike, he... Yeah, just because he's... His lyrics sort of, you know, speak to me sometimes. Do you not think that would be quite an old dinner party? Because it, it sounds like really you get on really well with fine. Grandma and Victoria. I could leave, I could, no, I could chat to him. Fine, fine. Granny Victoria would just have to sort of... Victoria, she's now not even Queen yeah. Victoria. Vicky. Yeah, got very um, casual. Yeah. Uh, they could just... They just have to sort of, you know... They could offer you advice, themselves. maybe, before you... Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, that sounds great. <laughs> Tells me quite a lot about you. Like, two older women and then a romantic Random interest. Quartet. Done. <laughs> right. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me.
Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.